0: We are continuing uh, a series that we are simply calling How to be Happy. And uh, in this series, we are working our way through the New Testament book of uh, Philippians. And if you have ever had any interest whatsoever in experiencing a little more happiness, experiencing a little more uh, inner sense of gladness, then this book is for you. Um, If, on the other hand, the whole happiness thing isn't your thing, then this book is for everybody else you know, so I'd still encourage you uh, to kind of dial in and engage a a little bit. Um, But we're going to get right to it. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can turn to... Philippians chapter three, uh, we are going to start at verse one, pick up where, uh, Pastor Jeff left off last week. And, uh, man, I'm so thankful, uh, for, for Jeff and the way he teaches so practically. I found myself thinking about my grumbling tendencies uh, a little bit more, um, This week, if you missed any of that, I'd encourage you to go to uh, YouTube and find it there and and catch up that way. But this morning, we're going to uh, pick up in chapter three, verse one, and Paul is going to just lean a little more heavily into this theme of happiness as the chapter starts and uh, if you don't have a copy of the bible no worries the verses will show up here on the screen in in just a moment if you don't own a bible we would love to get one into your hands you can head to the connection corner at the end of the service just let them know you need a bible it's our gift to you uh thanks for allowing us that that honor but um philippians chapter three uh verse one all right here's what it says Further, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so Paul, uh, he, he starts this, this section with an unapologetic invitation to be happy. Matter of fact, scratch that. Um, invitation is not the right word, um, Paul opens up this section um, of scripture, and what he does is actually gives an order to be happy. With his words, Paul is not um, wishing for, or hoping for, or praying for the experience of. Uh, inner gladness that's not what he is doing no under the guidance of the holy spirit paul is commanding the philippians to experience happiness that's crazy if you ask me be happy y'all that's an order that's how philippians chapter 3 begins now um i don't know what your thought is about Christians um or Christianity in general. I don't know what your thought is about the Bible, but I personally like it and and this is one of the reasons for it when I read things like this. Now, one of the primary reasons I was really slow to run to Jesus in um the earlier part of my life was because I knew way too many Christians. And uh The majority of the Christians I knew were super sour Christians who were (laughs) constantly, constantly uh, telling me all of the rules and the things I shouldn't do and the things i you know should do and they were constantly telling me about all the fun things i was doing that i needed to quit doing and so i didn't particularly like christians or christianity so i reasoned in my mind because i was brilliant even then um i'll have you know so i reasoned in my mind like all right well i am going to (laughs) i am going to wait until i've had all my fun And I've got all the happiness out of my system. And then I'll come to Jesus and be sour with the rest of you because I definitely don't want to go to hell. That was my reasoning. Um, Because as far as I understood it, I would get to the doors of Christianity and Jesus would meet me there and he would say, come on in. But leave your happiness at the door. You are not going to be needing it here. And I wonder why did no one tell me. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. And I would just invite you to forget Christians for a moment. Especially the sour bunch of us. The Bible. That informs our Christianity. Is so for your happiness. Despite popular opinion, it is so for your happiness that it orders you to be happy, that it commands you to experience an inner sense of gladness. Rejoice is an order. I don't know if you are aware of this, but God commands you to be happy. That shatters my construct from growing up in the church. And it's one of the reasons I love this book. Now, we, we've got to just camp here for a few moments because that's truth. This command to be happy is a gift that just keeps on giving. And here's what I mean. Just think about it for a second here. If happiness is an order, then As difficult and as stretching and as challenging as it may be for you to believe it with your unique story and your unique challenges, guess what? If happiness is an order, it means happiness must be an option. If Paul is ordering the Philippian believers to be happy, he must believe that they have the option to choose to order them some happiness. And what Paul would say is, yeah, to rejoice is a choice. Happiness is an option. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says brothers and sisters, which is just a description of those who've put their faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Then happiness is within your reach. Now, I don't know how elusive um, happiness has felt to you. I don't know what your particular struggle or your particular season is has led you to believe about happiness. I don't know um, how much the weight of pain or the weight of disappointment has uh, informed your soul when it comes to The possibility of happiness. I don't know how whatever you may have gone through has clouded or hidden joy from your view, making it almost seem cruel to talk about happiness being in your reach. I don't know what your journey, your story is. But what I do know is as difficult as the path may be, as difficult as it may be to believe when God gives an order, he gives An option. Which means if God orders happiness, He supplies the option for us to experience happiness. Now, it doesn't mean pain will stop, it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. May I remind you that Paul is writing these words from a prison. Meaning circumstances are not necessarily going to be easy, but even in the midst of the prison experience, Paul is still able to command happiness. This inner sense of gladness apparently must be within reach. And I would just invite you to consider the possibility that happiness is an option, not just for those other people, not just for an elite branch of Christianity, but for you Not so much based on your experience, not so much based on your journey, but based on what God says in his book. Now, before we get uh, too far down this road, we've got to pause and just do our due biblical diligence and notice that Paul doesn't just say be happy. He tells us. What I believe to be the most important thing about happiness. Right after he orders the Philippians and us in turn to be happy. Paul says. I don't know if you saw it. Be happy. In. Jesus. He says rejoice in the Lord. And this just gets better and better now. We've got to pause and just acknowledge uh, that at first glance, come on, be honest. That just sounds like the typical bailout, cutesy, churchy answer for everything. Jesus. And happiness, yeah, Jesus, you know, it's, yeah, you, get, you, know, you don't get it because it's Jesus. Like, it's just the typical bailout when we have nothing to say. It's, it's this Jesus thing that ends all arguments. But at a closer look, this is actually such a key phrase if we're going to understand how to be happy. It's not a bailout, cute, churchy r- response. It's a really key phrase: rejoice in the Lord. Um, my kids have been super um, honest with me during this series, which I have I've loved. They have just shared some genuine skepticism. Ah, which has been really good to hear them um, talk about. (laughs) Oh man, they've been like, yeah, okay, yeah. So happy, yeah, joy, yeah. We we know what that means. Um, when people at church (laughs) talk about happiness, (laughs) they they're talking about this like really special and secret kind of happiness uh, that is hidden in heaven and you get to experience it only after you die it's this really mysterious happiness that no one really gets to feel on earth but it's kind of just it's tucked away in, in, in heaven and so nana knows all about the happiness because she's passed away but for the rest of us you've just gotta suck it up for now Until one day, this secret happiness that all the sour Christians around don't get to experience will one day experience. And I'm like, that's actually such a fascinating point and a valid skepticism, if you ask me. Um, And again, the way I grew up, I heard people talk about joy, but it was always with a a sour face, you know, and no one seems to be experiencing this joy. It was continually spoken of as something in the distant future. But kids for now, just suck it up and um, don't party like your miserable friends. And our kids are like, no, they seem pretty happy to me. Like, you, can, you can keep saying that, but that does not seem accurate. But I do, I think sometimes we read, be happy in Jesus, and we treat it as if Paul, for a moment, has changed the definition of happiness. And he's not speaking about real happiness, he's speaking about Jesus' happiness. Like, that's different. It's not happy, happy, it's that Jesus' happy. You don't get to experience, you know, inner inner gladness here. It's more like a layaway happiness that you will experience one day after you die. But Paul is not introducing a different definition. He's not introducing a different kind of happiness. He's not speaking about a fake kind of happiness. No, happiness is happiness. He uses the same word. He's talking about happiness the way you think about happiness. He's not introducing a different kind of happiness. Paul is simply pointing to a different source for happiness. This phrase is so helpful. He doesn't say it's a different kind of happiness in Jesus. No, he's saying happiness is happiness. I'm just pointing you to a source, to the source for happiness. Can I urge you to be happy? But be happy most in and most about Jesus because you can be happy in and you can be happy about a bunch of different things and we need to stop lying to our kids and telling them that's not going to make you happy or that's not going to make you happy either because they may just try it and feel really happy doing it and then question the whole thing no it will make you happy happy is happy paul's not questioning what happy is he is simply pointing to the source He is simply saying, I'm saying make Jesus the primary source for your happiness. Because listen to me, the most important thing about your happiness is not how it makes you feel, but where it came from. The most important thing about your happiness is its source. That's what Paul is saying. It's its source. I was just thinking recently, you may not know this. So let me just share a fast fact about me that you don't care about perks of having a microphone. But, um, you may not have known this, but one of my favoriteest things in the world to eat, I'll have, you know, is, um, is a, uh, just a good old fashioned Whopper from Burger King. um. Make it a a double Whopper, matter of fact, and throw cheese on that sucker? I love double Whoppers with cheese from Burger King. Oh man, I'm just trying to tell you the culinary delight (laughs) that is brought to my body is next level. It just, it just makes my taste buds sing. Like thy hills are alive with the sound of music when I am <laughs> eating a Whopper. If you want to see me happy, see me while I am consuming a double Whopper with cheese from Burger King. Oh, side note, by the way. A quick side note. If you want to see me miserable and wallowing in self-loathing, see me soon after. I ate the double whopper with cheese from Burger King. Oh, things get real. (laughs) I I, I feel ugly. (laughs) I feel bloated. I hate myself. I'm questioning the value of my life. (laughs) The bathroom is alive with a sound of music. (laughs) All right, TMI. But I'm just telling you. Oh, man. It is rough for me. In the aftermath. I'm just, I'm just telling you right now. The Whopper is a real source of happiness for me. It's just not a very secure source. And I always find that out very, very quickly. Because the most important thing about your happiness is its source. And Paul is saying be most happy in Jesus. Make Jesus the primary source of your happiness. Because everything else is vulnerable. Think about it, right? Like, I'm the skeptic. I'm like, yeah, of course, be happy in Jesus. Well, what do you wish he would have said? Be happy in you? Hmm. Um, I like me sometimes on certain days. And even on those days, it depends what time of the day, how I'm going to feel about myself. My mood is always changing outfits and doing weird things. I'm constantly tweaked and I'm constantly triggered by this or that feeling and this and that situation. If how I feel about me is the primary source of happiness, mm, I'm going to be happy sometimes. But it's, it's not a particularly secure place. I don't know. I mean, maybe Paul could have said, hey, be happy in social media. I don't know. He wasn't advanced enough to know that. But I'm like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, 20 likes. Everyone hates me. 22 likes. I'm the man. (laughs) Wait, she got 100 likes. How does she get a hundred likes? No one likes her. Who am I even if she's getting those likes? And I'm going to scroll down my social media feed and then I see the dreaded words. You are all caught up. No, come on, people post some more. What am I supposed to do? Go to the bathroom by myself and the Come on, let's keep this thing going. No, if how I feel about me is determined on people's likes and people's comments and people's followership, let's. That explains a lot in our culture. If Paul would have said, well, be primarily happy in marriage. Well, first of all, that means like the first 20 some odd years of life. It's just misery. (laughs) Right? I mean, because you're just waiting For someone to come and complete you. For someone to come and make you happy. And so life is just like, hold on, man. Have you found someone yet? Not yet. Hold on. Happiness is coming on a white horse or on Tinder or whatever. And then all of a sudden you meet this person and all the best. For this person to live up to the pressure and the expectations of everything you've built up in their mind. And then one day they leave the toilet seat up. Oh. Morning breath, right? And no, I hope we're happy in marriage, but if that's the primary source, then men, when we experience rejection, men, when we experience struggle, we feel the vulnerability of it, or, or be happy in, in pleasure. Pleasure is, is, is great and you know it's a chemical physical thing that lasts for a moment, but after that moment then then what then I still have to come back to the reality of who I am and what I am. Ah Paul could have said money, but man, that explains if the you know economy shows any sign of hiccuping, then we get really stressed and we get really unstable Paul is not introducing a different kind of happiness he's pointing to a better source for happiness because your happiness is as secure as its source and Paul is not giving some cheap or churchy answer he's giving the best answer he knows be happy most in Jesus and I would guess if you would say I disagree with Paul Paul would say fine then bring your better source of happiness to the table. What do you suggest? (laughs) Jesus is such a churchy answer. All right, give us a better one. What are you going to bring to the table? Comfort? Comfort? I think that's what's happened in the church. We've brought comfort to the table as a primary source, which explains why when we experience struggle or we experience pain, our worlds come falling apart and we become skeptical of the word of God and the promises of God. Because how can happiness even be a possibility for me? Because my life feels completely unraveled because the thing I depended on, that comfort has been altered. Paul would say, what are you going to bring? Comfort is so unpredictable. And my happiness is moving with the headlines as they continue to change. What are you going to bring to, to the table? Health? No, that explains why we might say, well, happiness is not within my reach because I got a bad report from the doctor. Because it, that was the source. And poets say, that, that can change in a minute. Ask some of the folks in our church. Family? family's awesome, but kids disappoint. And then people leave. It, it, Paul would say, I'm not giving you a bailout answer. I love you, Philippians. And I'm telling you, the primary source, the best source for your joy and happiness is the person of Jesus Christ. Be happy in the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever be happy in the one who is unimpeachable and whose economy is never shaken that's who paul is pointing them to be happy in the one whose comments on your life feed are always love 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 be happy in the one who knows you perfectly and loves you completely no matter what you ever do And Paul would say, I'm pointing you to find happiness in him. Be happy in the one whose plans for you are always only good. Be happy in the one who paid for your sin once and for all and will never use your faults against you. Never. Paul says, I'm pointing you to him. This is not a cheap Sunday school. Answer, be happy in the one who promises to never leave you, never forsake you from now until forever. He will never bail out. Be happy in the one who has the power to heal your health and the power to cause you to soar even if your health is shaky. Be happy in in him. Because Paul says you can be happy in a bunch of different things. But none better, none more secure than Jesus. And I think we need to be okay to wrestle with this, even with our kids and say, no, think about your sources. And other things can bring happiness, but Paul is saying the primary source of happiness, Jesus. And then he spends the next number of verses just teaching us how to be happy in Jesus. What does this look like? And it may not look like we think Um, And there are a lot of different things the Bible teaches about this, but I think Paul focuses in on two ideas, dependence and delight, dependence and delight. Um, Now, before we read the the next number of verses, let me just give you some sense of what was happening while Paul is penning these words uh, to his friends in in Philippi Um, there. Is a group of traveling teachers um, called Judaizers. And these guys are like trolling Paul. They find the churches that Paul loves and invests in and has preached in. And they go and they start to worm their way in and try and disrupt things for Paul. Uh, Now, they wouldn't come into these churches and, and kind of outright disagree with Paul. They were sneaky, though. They were shady. They were super subtle. And here's what they would teach. Jesus... Jesus is cool. Um, The person and work of Jesus was great. But if you really want to be accepted and loved by God, though, you also need to follow the Jewish law. And one of the key laws that they dialed in on and, and obsessed over was the law Of circumcision, circumcision, the the physical um, evidence in the Old Testament that you were part of God's people, the people of Israel, Jesus and his work to take away your sin and make you right with God. It's decent. But if you really want to get to that next level, if you really want God to smile, if you really want to experience his acceptance, if you really want to be complete, if you really want to be enough, well, then you got to cut off that fleshy foreskin situation of yours and you be in with God. This is what they were teaching. Paul hears about this, and he is, he is furious. It's almost hilarious, but Paul, I'm trying to take you serious. He is so upset, he goes from joy talk to just calling these dudes some unflattering names in less than a verse. Second part of verse 1. It is no trouble to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those, those dogs. Dogs. <laughs> and he's using this, this as a term, but like they're obsessed with flesh, like dogs. Kind of gross. These evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. He calls them cutters. Because of this thing that they're teaching. And then Paul reminds them of the gospel truth that he taught them. Verse 3, 4. It is we who are the circumcision. It is we who serve God by his spirit. It's we who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And you better believe he intends the double meaning when he uses the term flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. We are the accepted ones. We are the ones who belong to God, not because of some piece of flesh and not because of our fleshly or physical ability to do anything to get God to accept us. But because of the finished work of Jesus and his work alone is what Paul is saying to them. We are forgiven and we are embraced and we are accepted because of Jesus alone. He is furious with these dogs and he is furious with them because they are pulling the Philippians away from Jesus as the primary source. They are trying to introduce another source on par with Jesus. And Paul is mad. There is some other source for your joy and your acceptance that is on par with Jesus. And Paul is upset about that, that there is something in this world That can help make you more enough in God's eyes. No, Paul says, we depend on Jesus and Jesus alone to be embraced by God. We put no confidence in the flesh, in the physical. And I'm just telling you, being happy in Jesus has to start there. It starts With dependence on Jesus as the only one who makes me accepted and enough in God's eyes. It starts here. I am fully loved and completely accepted because of Jesus and Jesus alone. There is nothing I can do to make him love me more. There is nothing I can do to make him love me less. That's where it begins. And when someone shows up and they start to communicate anything that adds to, you can see why Paul gets. But happiness in Jesus starts with a declaration of dependence on Jesus alone as the one who makes me accepted to God. And as was true for the Philippians, and I think it's even more true today, there will always be enemies of the gospel pulling us to do something more to be good with God. Nothing will steal your joy faster than putting anything on par with or in the place of Jesus when it comes to your acceptance with God. Paul would say, watch out. Now, circumcision may sound ridiculous to us in 2019, but we have our own things. Um. We introduce our own versions of circumcision. I'll give you a couple of examples. Church attendance. Got to get to church, man, to to, to be right, to be right with God. Um, So what happens if you skip church for, let's say, five weeks? Oh, oh, God's not happy, man. We got to get back into church. And get in that groove so, so we can, you know, get on the right side of... No wonder you're miserable when you come to church. Like what? No, if you never attended another church service, God would be smiling at you. Because of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you want to know what it means to be happy in Jesus. It is removing anything that you think helps God smile at you or love you anymore. And for us, church can become the new circumcision. No, God's not going to think any different. He's going to love you any more or any less because you went to church or you didn't. Now the people in the church might judge you. Um, That's different. A different story altogether. I can't speak for them. Now, sometimes for us, it's like, well, Jesus is great, but you also have to keep going to church. What? Jesus is great, but you also have to quit that that thing you struggle with. You you, you, you have to get over that habit. Jesus is great, but I got to stop doing that one thing. Really? God's acceptance of you is not waiting on you to stop struggling with something. He is smiling over you even in the midst of that struggle. But for us, we're like, no, 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 that cannot be true. He is waiting for me to fix something in my flesh. Plus, we put no confidence in the flesh... Nothing will steal your joy faster than believing you still have to do something to get God to accept or to get God to smile on you. Jesus plus freedom from struggle will kill your joy. It's not true. Oh okay, but Jesus is great, but you know, but, but Jesus plus reading the Bible though, like my devotions. No. False. In fact, if you read this book, you know what? This book is going to be a big foam finger pointing you back to Jesus. Telling you, hey, Jesus is amazing. And he's the only one who can make you acceptable to God. I I can push the envelope since you're asking. Um. the church can make an issue like a sexual orientation or an inclination. The new circumcision. Ah, Jesus, the cross and his forgiveness is great. But if you struggle with the same sex attraction, though, you got to get that all figured out before God smiles on you. And God is like, you can see why Paul was furious. We put no confidence in the flesh. I'm telling you, church, being happy in Jesus starts with dependence on Jesus alone for my acceptance. If there is anything else in your world that you believe you still have to do to get God to smile on you, watch the back door open and joy sneak out. Now it's it's Jesus. And it starts with this experience of dependence. God's not mad at you if you're a follower of Jesus. He vented on the cross. God's not keeping a scorecard. He doesn't have, I love you, I love you not, I love you, I love you not every day. He's not out to get you. And then Paul gives a personal testimony. Um... And he just shares that, you know, man, I I brought religion and my right behavior to the table. um, As my primary source, verse four, though, I myself have reasons for such confidence. I mean, if anyone has a reason to be confident that I can get God to smile on me, Paul says. I did. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was the right day to do it. Of the people of Israel, in my blood, I was born as one of the chosen people of God. Of the tribe of Benjamin, my people produced the first king ever. A Hebrew of Hebrews. You don't get any more Jewish than that. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. I had like 16 doctrines in biblical theology. I understood this, the Old Testament Bible... More than any of you combined. As for zeal. I was so into it. I persecuted the church. Because I believed the church wasn't getting it right. As for righteousness based on the law. I behaved so well. You would have struggled to say. Well Paul doesn't go to church. Well Paul doesn't struggle with that issue. Well Paul doesn't drink. He doesn't vape. He doesn't smoke. Whatever things you put on that. Paul says I did all of the external behavior stuff. Perfectly. But what. Ever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. After years of laboring to behave right, I found it did nothing to make me any more acceptable to God. It was a loss. It was a wash. There was nothing salvageable in my behavior that God was like, Oh, I can work with that. I wonder what those things may be for you. But happy in Jesus starts with the declaration. No, it's it's Jesus alone. Paul then says, "Let me take it a step further," verse 8. "What is more, I consider everything a loss." Not just those things I listed, but everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage as a matter of fact, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found in Jesus. In Jesus. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is saying again, it's Jesus alone. Everything I listed and everything I didn't. All the things I'd ever done to try and win points with God. He says, actually, it's, it's not just a loss, it's garbage. Um, now, to be clear, Paul is uh, swearing in the Bible. I'm not advocating for it. I'm just pointing it out. The NIV translates this word garbage. The King James Version translates it more accurately. Dung. Paul is saying any effort I made to get God to smile on me. It is cow doo doo. Is what he's saying. Just take that home. And talk to your kids. <laughs> but this is still True. To this day, and the church is constantly dunging for God. Like, no, we can seriously do something to make you. God is like, it's, 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 Paul says, it was all garbage. My preaching garbage. Don't amen to that. I'm just making a point. That (laughs) if I sit up here and believe that somehow I get up here and I speak from the word of God, that somehow earns me points with God. Garbage what I'm doing up here. If, if somehow like, you know, being a, a good parent. Now, God surely looks on that and he smiles on me and accepts me a little bit more. No. Happiness in Jesus starts with declaring dependence on Jesus alone to be right and good and accepted with God And I'm just saying that to some of us, our journey towards happy in Jesus has to start with asking the question, what are the things that I, I still believe when I do this, God loves me less. When I do that, now God loves me more. Now he's smiling. In fact, some of you who have put your faith in Jesus are sitting in this room and carrying heavy loads. Believing God is viewing you in a way that Paul would say, no, now you're putting confidence in the flesh. I don't know if you knew this, but the majority of the time, shame is just you putting confidence in the flesh. It's, it's Jesus and Jesus alone, but it's not just about dependence. It's, it's also about delight. Being happy in Jesus is about delight. Verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power His resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is powerful. The word Paul uses uh, for know here is not a theological word. It's an experiential one. Paul is not saying, I want to know Jesus. Like, I wanted to learn a few more theological facts about him. No, Paul is not asking, you know, for more information when he says, I want to know Christ. He is speaking about a deeper intimacy. This is a powerful word. It's a relationship word. See, because I know Oprah and T Swift even. Um, and by that, I just mean, I know who they are. I've read some facts about them. And I think many times in the church, that's how we relate to Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Yes. He died on a cross. He, um, is the son of God. Um, uh, what other facts do I know about Jesus? He is God incarnate. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I want to know the person of Jesus. Not in an information way, but in an intimate and up-close way. Paul is not saying, I want to trust Jesus. He's already talked about that in putting confidence in Jesus. Now he's saying, I want to Taste and see that Jesus is good. I want to bathe in his presence. I want to learn the sound of his voice. I want to know what his eyes look like and what it sounds like when he's singing over me. I want to know Jesus sitting with me in the valley and walking with me in the difficulty. I want to know Jesus singing over me in the joy. I want to know the person of Jesus Christ. I've read about his power. I want to experience his power. I want to meet Jesus in the place where his heart breaks so that what makes him hurt hurts me as well. I want to know the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, being happy in Jesus is about a shift beyond just the information about Jesus, but the encounter with Jesus. And I think in the church, there's a famine Of experiences with the person of Jesus Christ. And and we talk about what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross. And Jesus is saying, I want to meet you in 2019. I'm still alive and I'm still real and I'm still personal and I want to know you Intimately, and this is what Paul is crying out for. This is so good to read because the goal of Christianity is not simply believing in Jesus. It's delighting in him. And I think for many of us, we've stopped at facts about Jesus. Forgetting, no, the goal is the face of Jesus. That's what heaven is going to be all about, by the way. It's not Bible study in a corner. What do you guys think um, about uh, the transubstantiation? No, it's going to be about lingering in his presence and being with him. Jesus saved us not just to believe him, but to know him. And to find him to be the source of supreme joy. And I love what he says to wrap up here. Um, And the team, you guys can come on out. Um, Not that I've already obtained all this. Or have already arrived at my goal. I love this vulnerability and humility. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And if you want to know what the prize is, the prize is Jesus himself. And I love what Paul says. I'm not there yet, but here's what I know. I am saying, forget what's happened before this moment. From this point forward, I want to chase after Jesus. I want to run after him. I want to reach after everything for which he has reached after Me, the goal is knowing and delighting in Jesus. And I love the fact that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how you come in here, no matter what your story has been, that you get to say today, forgetting what is behind, I'm declaring a fresh dependency on Jesus and Jesus alone for the smile of God. And I, I want to learn what it means to better delight in Jesus. I want to go into his presence on a daily basis and ask him, show yourself to me. I've heard about you, but I want to experience you. I've listened to what they say about you, but I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want, I want to touch you, Jesus. I want to know you. Whatever has happened before this, Paul says, I'm just taking steps in this direction. And I love that he describes this as a process. I've not arrived yet. None of us have. But I am committed to taking steps in the journey moving forward. And then it makes sense how Paul can order us to be happy technically what Paul is doing is, is, is just inviting us he's saying hey I'm not ordering you to feel something I am ordering you to, to keep running back to the source keep running back to Jesus and when something sneaks up that makes you believe that God is no longer smiling on you run back to the cross and what Jesus has done but beyond that Run back to Jesus and who He is and just ask Him over and over again. Would you show yourself to me? And I love what Paul says in verse 1. It's no burden for me to repeat myself because there's power in repetition. There's power in repetition because sometimes I think the church acts like we act on, you know, January the 2nd. I went to the gym once and I don't have a six-pack. This stuff doesn't work. No, it's the art of going back over. Uh, whoa. Me and my wife, we had a conversation last quarter. And uh, this communication is it's for the birds, man. It doesn't work. Like, no. You never become better at something unless you repeat it. Unless you go over and over. Back to the place. I think social media has taught us the art of moving on. If you didn't catch my interest right away, I'm moving on. Scrolling past. But Paul would say, no, we want to keep coming back to Jesus over and over again. Being reminded, what do you say about me now? And what do you want to show yourself of me now? Which is why we want to be surrounded with people who are constantly reminding us over and over. Jesus is enough, y'all. Jesus is enough, y'all. Keep coming back to him. What are you experiencing of Jesus? Have you experienced him lately? And I believe that as we continue repeating, going back to him over and over again, we'll start to see the result called I am happy and nothing in my life is even right. But I'm happy and I'm locked in a prison cell somehow. But yet what he says about me and you never guess who sat next to me in the cell. And you never guess whose hand I felt in the doctor's office. Because I'm starting to experience happy in him. So I love that we get to take a few moments to have communion together because this is a returning. This is a coming back to being reminded Jesus has done it all to make you accepted to God. But you know what else I think communion gets us to do, I hope that it will be a moment for you to say to Jesus I want you to be as real as this piece of bread and this drink, I want to taste you, I want to know you I want to experience you just like I'm experiencing this communion and if you're a follower of Jesus, as you take communion I would invite you to just thank him for what he's done to make you acceptable and beg him to make himself real to you So Izzy's going to lead us in a song. And I'll just ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you get the bread, just hold it and the cup, hold it. We'll drink and eat together and make that declaration of dependence on Jesus and beg him to help us delight in him. And So Jesus, we just pray even now that you would show up and do something rich in all of our lives and all of our souls. That maybe someone for the first time would recognize God is smiling over me and that maybe somebody for the first time would say I'm experiencing Jesus as real in this moment and may our joy spring from that place in Jesus name we pray amen